Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my dear friends in Christ, from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. What a fun and exciting and joyous time it is for me to be in God's house with you and to bring you again this love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. You as a church have been celebrating throughout this whole year your 75th anniversary as a congregation. Those of you who are members here, long time, short time, this is your church. If this is your first time here at this church, this congregation is celebrating its 75th anniversary. And it's my joy as a guest pastor to come and to bring you this good news of Jesus Christ. It's been quite a while since I have been here in any sort of leadership role, even if you could call it that, at South Shore Trinity. For those of you who have been around for any length of a time, you might actually recognize me better from the back of my head. Does this, does this look more familiar? Because I, I was the guy about 10, 15 years ago who played organ here at South Shore Trinity before the organ council was turned and my back faced directly down here. I did that uh, for, for many times uh, during my time at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. But it is good to be with you here today. Now, for those of you who don't know me at all, uh, one of your pastors here, Pastor Bob Gerke, who's been leading the worship so far, he is my dad. So if you want to know a little bit about me, if you know my dad, I'm very much like my dad. Except significantly taller, for one. <laughs> and for two, if I have any redeemable qualities, I got them from my mom and not from my dad. So, <laughs> there you go. He knows we're actually very similar, so he can handle this sense of humor, and I'm glad that you all can as well. As we get started today, though, I'm, I'm just slightly curious. You know, as, as I want to know uh, who's listening here. As you celebrate this 75th anniversary, who among us here today were chartering members of the congregation? Go ahead and raise your hands. None of you. None of you. I was going to be thrown for a loop if, if that was any of you, but none of you signed the original documentation saying, we here want to form this church. Okay. You know, the church that I serve uh, in Houghton, Michigan, which is uh, about uh, six hours northeast of here, you go up to Duluth, uh, take the south shore of Lake Superior four hours to the east, that's where I currently live. Uh, that church that I serve last year celebrated their 150th anniversary and at that celebration, I asked the congregation that same question. How many of you were founding members? I got the same answer. I don't, I don't, where are all the founding members of churches? Where have they gone? I don't, I don't know. Today, in this, in this sermon, what I want to do for you and with you is cover all three texts that were read. Now, that may seem like a big task. Those were long readings. Uh, but, but we're going to do it. We're going to make sense of all of this. Because in all three of these readings, they, they all have something to do with this bread uh, provided by God, bread of life, and, and the effects of eating that bread on us, on the life of the church, and the life of this world. Now, I just have to put a little disclaimer on the table for those of you who are gluten-sensitive or have full-blown celiac disease. This message is also for you, <laughs> okay? So, uh, even though we're talking about bread, about bread, don't go running and saying, I can't have any of that. This is for you as well. I'm curious, when was the last time that your stomach grumbled? Just hang on a second. 
oh, I didn't, it didn't do it just now. I'm actually really hungry this morning. I've been staying with my parents at their apartment, and the only thing that my dad offered me for breakfast this morning, my mom wasn't awake, the only thing he offered me was ice cream this morning. Do you know, that's what he eats for Sunday mornings. I'm sorry, I'm giving away all the trade secrets here. Ice cream on Sunday mornings. So, I don't know, I'm a little, I'm a little bit hungry. But what happens when, you're, when your stomach grumbles? You know, when it, when it really grumbles? When your stomach really grumbles, I think it makes your mind grumble. And if your mind grumbles long enough, it makes your lips grumble and you start to complain. I know this full well, because this is what happens at my house. I have three children. Hazel is six, Max is four, Phoebe is one. My two oldest right now share a bedroom. They share bunk beds. And, and they've got this thing going right now where we, we tuck them into bed. We do, we do the whole thing, you know, the stories, the songs, the prayers, the back scratch, the slow walk out of the room. And as you get to the door, they say, Dad, Dad! What, guys? We're starving. Seriously, guys, right now, like, how many, how many things do we have to feed you, Right? Thankfully, I think it's just a shtick right now to slow the process down and you can appease them with just one cracker or something. My, my youngest daughter, who Phoebe, she just turned one. If she's, you know, hungry or even in the slightest hungry, she just screams in your face until you feed her more. So I understand that when people are hungry and grumbling, it makes their minds grumble and often their mouths grumble. And what we find out today in the Old Testament lesson in particular is that God deals with grumbling people. He, he deals with people who's, who are grumbling in their, in, their, in their bodies and in their mouths, people who are self-centered and self-focused. And he comes to us, provides for us, gets us to think outside of ourselves for the sake of other people. Let's look at that Old Testament lesson to start with. Let me set the stage for you. God's people are wandering in the wilderness, in the Sinai Peninsula. They've just gotten there. They were slaves in Egypt for a long time. And now they, they've been set free but they're in the desert. They're hungry. Of course, rightly so. And so they complain to their leader and say, hey, Moses, we're hungry. And I bet Moses was probably hungry as well. So he brings their requests to God, and God hears the grumbling of his people, and he doesn't smite them. Instead, he provides for them a, a, a mysterious bread, a flaky bread, a, a bread that, uh, that, that shows up like, like dew on the ground in the morning, Right? And they, they look at this bread and they say, manna. That's what they say. They say manna. Now, you heard in the, in the children's lesson just a minute ago, but that word manna, that word manna, it is, a, it is a Hebrew word that literally means, what is it? I can only imagine being one of these people, right? God says, I'll provide for you. And they see it and they say, what is it? <laughs> I like to watch these survival wilderness shows on TV, you know, the ones where people voluntarily set themselves up in the, in the woods and try to survive off the land. And a lot of times in those shows, the, when they're really starving, they say, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm going to try to eat it and, and see if it, you know, does my body good. What is it? I don't know, but I, I got to eat, right? I can imagine that's what the people of Israel were facing. Right? I don't know what this is. If God says eat it, I, I guess. Okay, well, thanks, God. That, that manna, that bread, was literally, literally, the bread of life for the people of Israel for 40 years. It's all they ate, along with the quail, right? For 40 years, that was literally bread of life. It sustained their lives for them. I think we're often like those people of Israel, not fully understanding God's provisions for us, the way that he works. 
You know, I think oftentimes God provides and we say, what is this way that you're providing? When it seems, Lord, like I'm praying for healing, sometimes it feels as though the healing does not come. Yet when I don't pray for healing, you are constantly taking care of my scrapes and my bumps and my bruises. What is this way that you work, Lord? When I'm not ready for you to open up doors for me to proclaim your good news to the people in my life, when I'm not ready, you seem to open up all the doors. And when I say I'm ready, where are the opportunities? What is this way that you work, Lord? What, what is it? What is it? What, what is this provision? The people in the gospel lesson today, we're going to jump there in John chapter 6. The people in the gospel lesson today who were following Jesus asked Jesus the same kind of question. What is this that you're doing, Jesus? They refer back to the story from the Old Testament. They say, our forefathers ate manna in the wilderness. Moses gave it to them. Why don't you do some miraculous sign so that we know whether or not we should follow you? I think we're often like these people as well who say to Jesus, Come on, Jesus, you did all sorts of miracles in the Bible times. Why don't you show up and do some sort of miracle now? How, how are we going to know if we should truly follow you and you, you are who you say you are? These people, let me set the stage here. These people in John 6 who are saying to Jesus, why don't you give us some sort of bread to eat? Some, do some miracle. You know who these people are? If you take a step back in John chapter 6, these are the people who just the day before were the 5,000 people who Jesus fed Remember that story in the Bible where Jesus takes a little bit of bread, blesses it, breaks it, feeds 5,000 people and more. They have their fill, right? They go to sleep that night. Jesus sends his disciples out into the sea, and he stays behind to pray. In the middle of the night, then Jesus does that thing where he walked out on the water. Remember that one? And he, and he shows up to the disciples in this storm, and he gets on the boat with them. They go across the sea. The next morning, these people wake up, and they've had their fill the night before of bread and fish. But now, guess what? Their bellies are rumbling, right? They're hungry. Where's Jesus? He, come on, he pr can produce food. So they look for him. They get into some boats. They cross the sea. They find Jesus, and they say, Jesus, when, when are you going to do some miraculous sign for us like Moses did for the people in the wilderness? <laughs> you can imagine Jesus shaking his head, and he says, guys, it wasn't for one Moses who gave them the bread in the wilderness. It was my father who gave them the bread in the wilderness. And Jesus says, for the bread... For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, give us this bread always, please. And Jesus says, I am this bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus is making a direct connection to this story from the wilderness where he says to these people, all right, you want food to eat, I understand, but why are you seeking after with all your might and strength food that spoils? Don't you know that that manna, it was just bread that spoils it? And it literally was. If they didn't eat enough, it would go bad, just like our bread does today, right? It, why are you seeking after more and more of that? Let me tell you, I am different. I am the true bread that the true Father has sent into this world for your sake, and I am bread that does not go bad. I am bread that does not spoil. I am bread that once you consume of me, I am with you always, daily, daily, daily. Everything that you need comes from me, daily bread. These readings today I find interesting. We have this lesson in the Old Testament about bread of life. 
This lesson from the gospel about bread of life and smack dab in the middle from Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about this thing called unity. Unity in the Christian church. When I read all these lessons together, I thought to myself, I, I, I might have just been hungry. I'm hungry a lot. I guess this is the moral of the story. But I, I might have just thought, you know, there's bread and there's bread and then there's this thing called unity. And you know what I thought was, hey, a unity sandwich. Right? A unity sandwich. You got bread of life, and you got bread of life, and you got unity smack dab in the middle. But when you think of it, it all makes sense. When, when we share in the eating of the bread of life, which is Jesus, when you and I take a bite of the bread of life, we are united together in his love and in his forgiveness. This is what happens from the bread of life. We are united. But what does it mean to be united we live in this place, in this country called the United States. And what are the United States? They are states that uh, are individuals, yet they are together, right? Individually together, individually together, with common bonds, common themes, common purpose. The Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, if you've read any of them, he is, he is adamant on this theme of unity in the Christian church. He just emphasizes it over and over. Why? Because it's a huge problem for people in general, but even the people of God. Because Paul knows that in our sinful, selfish, prideful human nature, we do not often strive towards unity. In our sinful, selfish, prideful nature, we oftentimes seek self-preservation, which often distances us from other people. We're not very good at seeking after unity, and so Paul needs to emphasize this over and over and over again to the people of God in these different churches, to tell them that this is why Jesus came into the world, is to unite. Jesus came into the world to unite with his grace-filled love and forgiveness that is demonstrated to us on the cross. Unity. This is why God sent Jesus into the world. The scriptures say, Paul says, God sent Jesus into the world to reconcile the world to himself. What does it mean to reconcile? To put back together what's broken. And then it says, and, and we have then, therefore been given the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? We've been called, commanded, gifted with the ability to reconcile. To reconcile. And what needs reconciliation in this world? You don't need me to, to tell you you live in this world. You live in this world. You know it's a broken world. We live in a war-torn world politically divided country, communities that are upended. Uh, we, got, we got people who are apathetic or turned away from the church. But this isn't just about us pointing fingers. This afflicts and affects us, people of God, as well, in our very own families and even in our churches. Dear people of God, my prayer for you, my prayer for you, South Shore Trinity Lutheran Church here, is that you would gather together at the unity of the cross of Jesus Christ. Here you are this morning, August 5th, 2018. You, every one of you, are here in this place right now. You, you woke up, you put on your clothes, you said, I'm going to church today. Here. Why are you here? Why are you here today? I pray that you do not tell me it's because you love this building, as dear as it is probably to this congregation. If you've been here week after week, why do you keep coming back? I pray that you don't say that it's for the donuts out here in the commons. 
How, are there donuts this morning? There are donuts. Okay, all right, great. I'm sorry, I'm hungry. Right? I, I, why do you come back here week after week? I pray that it's for no other reason than plain and simple Jesus and his free grace and love that flows to you from his cross. Dear people of God, do not fall into the tempting trap of Satan to divide and devour. This is what he does. Dear people of God, don't take a bite of that trap. Instead, take a bite of the bread of life. And when you do and I do, we are united at the cross. What if we wrote it like this? You and I at the cross. Now, those of you who are younger and you do your texting and shorthand that way, this might even make sense, better sense to you. But what it, here's what I want you to see. You and I at the cross. When you and I take a bite of the bread of life, which is Jesus, we are united at the cross. Where, where we have nothing to stand on, none, none of our own uh, words or actions or thoughts. We, we can't stand on any of that. We are only united through the cross of Jesus Christ. So dear people of God here at South Shore Trinity, as you celebrate your 75th anniversary, I pray that you know that those charter members of this church were founded on the daily bread of Jesus Christ. That they had nothing else to stand on except that daily provision, which is Jesus Christ. I pray that you know that your future is only going to be provided for you through the daily bread of Jesus Christ, which is his life-offering gift to you. And in between, right now, today, for you, here we have the daily bread of Jesus Christ, which when you and I take a bite of, it unites us at the cross. Dear people of God, for the next 75 years, or for the rest of today, for tomorrow, whatever God gives to you, share a bite of the bread of life. This bread is not just destined for you to eat and become gluttonous over. This bread is designed to be consumed and shared. So now I want you to think for a minute. Who in your life needs a bite of the bread of life? I'm going to give you two options. And you're going to put a name in your head. This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to put a name in your head. Either somebody that doesn't know Jesus or somebody that you need to reconcile with. Who I'm going to pause. Put a name in your head. Who? Who will you share a bite of the bread of life with? Go and do it. Today, tomorrow, to that life everlasting. Share a bite of the bread of life. And when you and I do, we're united at the cross in the name of Jesus.